We are back and I'm joined in this hour by Mayor Quentin Lucas. He is the mayor of Kansas City, Missouri. Thank you so much for joining us, Mayor Lucas. I, I know you've had an opportunity to watch the video that has gone viral of Damian Pickett, the uh, co-captain of the boat, the Harriet, that was attacked by these uh, white men uh, as he mm -hmm. simply asked them to move out of a parking space uh, that he needed, a docking space, I should say, for his boat. Uh, what would you make of that video? Uh, just I'll ask you that first and we'll get into, you know, what it means for the mayor of the city of Montgomery. But just on a visceral level, what was your response? It was astonishing. You know, you don't see things like that all the time, but nothing, I think, has crystallized more, particularly for black Americans, some of the challenges we face than this one man who is just fundamentally trying to do his job. And I saw the entitlement of the white men who were basically saying, what, they get to dock their boat anywhere, right? The black men, professional clothes, these yahoos just dressed however they want. It was disappointing. It was frustrating. It was sad. And honestly, today I watched a press conference and uh, I was I was heartened. It, it, it gave me more joy than even I can express to hear the black police chief and the black mm -hmm. mayor in Montgomery, Alabama, say that uh, these people be brought to justice. Yeah, and, you know, that wasn't necessarily, I think, uh, people weren't so confident that that would happen right. because we've seen too often in these situations where uh, there is a black victim of a crime that's being perpetrated by someone that is white and that white person gets the benefit of the doubt and doesn't face the same, uh, you know, penalties, criminal penalties as you know, would be the case if the person perpetrating the crime was black. What difference does it make? You're mayor, an African-American mayor of a city, Kansas mm -hmm. City. You have Mayor Reed in Montgomery. Mm -hmm. What difference does it make in these cities to have black men or women uh, at the head of cities in makes these executive roles? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes a substantial difference because it it's somebody who understands you know, I, I was actually, and I won't just do it from my own in-group position as a black person. I was talking to a white person on my staff today about Latino population. And, you know, I realized that we were kind of making assumptions and thoughts of things and feelings in a way that we didn't understand. And for black people, you see that happen all the time. You see people, and I've, I've got people now, and I'll admit, I posted some stuff on social media about this. And I have people that are saying, you're being divisive. How? How are we being divisive? There was a man, if, if, if you don't want to see race, well, there was a man just trying to do his job who got attacked. And a whole bunch of good Samaritans stood up for him. And Wait a minute, I, I want to stop you. What were you, you were being accused of being divisive because you posted what on social? Because I, I posted good morning ancestors. I mm. said good morning to the ancestors. <laughs> okay. Because what I saw was the fact that, you know, frankly, you saw black people come together in Montgomery, Alabama the other day. I mean, it's nothing short of amazing. See the people that some are coming because they work with them. Some are coming just because they saw stuff. There are other people that are saying this wasn't right. And so for me, that was amazing. That was special. That's something that deserves attention. As much as people want to talk about the challenges in our community, I was heartened to say, you know what? Look at us actually having an opportunity to say we did come together. You know, you had a, a racial incident in your city, Kansas City, earlier in the year. A white homeowner uh, was charged with armed assault after 
you know, shooting a black kid who simply rang the doorbell, a uh, case of perhaps mistaken identity, not clear, but what position is a black mayor like yourself or, or, or Mayor Reed in when you have to talk mm-hmm. about racial issues and you have to, you know, call balls and strikes around race, but you also have white constituents. You have a lot of white constituents, I would imagine, in Missouri, I'm sure. from St. Louis, yep. that aren't yep. really yep. ready to hear those hard facts about race. And I imagine in Montgomery, Alabama, there are lots of folks that don't want to hear the hard truths about race and racism. You know, I mean, that has been the interesting thing since this has happened, and it happens in every situation where people try to pretend it has nothing to do with race. People try to pretend that six white men on one black man is just happenstance. It has nothing to do with entitlement. And, you know, I think what we saw both of the shooting in Kansas City, where you had a 16-year-old black boy, he didn't need to be, and I say boy on purpose, not to be condescending, not to be insulted, because that's what he was. He was picking up his little brothers. He was doing what every mother would expect, taking care of family obligations. And you see what happened. And you see what happened to this black man who's just doing his work. So I think what we need to highlight in more of these situations, why I appreciate Mayor Reed in Montgomery speaking to it, the black police chief speaking to it, is to say that this is not right. This does matter to us. This is an injustice and a tragedy. Because I will tell you this, I grew up in an America where when there was a black man who was the defendant, it wasn't just a man who did something wrong. It wasn't just a story about, you know, some unfortunate situation. You saw the pictures and you saw the fact that it was a scary black person. It was a scary city. You were hearing that rhetoric again. President Trump talks about the cities being dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for us to say where we are afraid, where we are afraid of the fact that when there is a majority white group, you see in some situations some of the harms that can be followed. But but how do you navigate that as a black mayor of a city where you have a large voting population, demographic of white people, many of whom, again, you know, are not ready to accept the reality about race and the, the pervasiveness of racism in our society? Are you risking votes? Are you risking even your office when you stand up as a black man, as a black mayor and talk about what I saw you know, is obviously racially motivated because a lot of people are denying that what we saw on the tapes in Montgomery had to do with yeah, race. They're saying, oh, no, this is just about, you know, these guys didn't want to move their boat. They were having a good time. So this is more about authority, right? This is more about uh, having to do something that you don't want to do. And folks are denying that it's racial. So I'm just wondering, how can you as a politician of a city that has a large white voting population, I imagine, you know, well-heeled, uh, white population, business owners, et cetera. How do you navigate that? You know, I think you have to always be authentic and, and true to yourself. Where politicians go wrong usually is when they start playing games and not speaking their truth. And my truth, I, I know Mayor Reed. I've talked to him since the, the incident in Montgomery. Many of our truths, I met your mayor in Los Angeles, is that we are black. We've always been black, and we have always known certain challenges that befall us. Now, that doesn't mean, and it's something that I think I have to share a lot, is a lot of the things I talk about, if we have fairness and equality and all of that, it's better for everybody. It's better for white people, particularly working class white people, if there's justice, if there's fairness. It's better for every demographic, but you need to make sure you say it. Now, I won't, I won't be Pollyannish. There is fear, mm-hmm. I think, when you first comment. There is initially fear where you're saying, you know, am I doing this right? 
I mean, look, I live in the middle of the country, right? I'm, I'm not sitting in the Bronx, or Baltimore, or some of these other spots. Or Los Angeles, and, even. <laughs> right. But I think you recognize that you're there for a reason. And my reason to be here is to say that there's no shame in standing up for black people in the same way that I march at the St. Patrick's Day Parade for Irish Americans in my city every year. And I don't think that we need to forever say, oh, it was just bad luck for the black boy who shot on his doorstep. It's just misfortune and some drunk voters for the, for the black man who's just doing his job. Because we do that rationalization, how many times do we have to rationalize harm that befalls us? It makes you start to wonder and think, well, what did we do wrong? What, what could we have done better to quell the situation? These are just good old boys trying to dock their boat, right? Which we can't do that mm-hmm. because these types of situations, they go unchallenged. These are the ones that become situations that are, are worse and worse. You know, mm-hmm. every now and then I, I deal with police brutality cases, which is part of the job. And, you know, I'll deal with people who say, well, if everybody would just comply better, wouldn't life right. work out better? You know, if, if this if this black man on the dock would have just said, oh, you know, hey, y'all, you know, you just good old boys. I really hope you move. Maybe I'll deescalate even more. But how how often for a people who every day have to code switch for people who every day have to do something different, have to worry about how somebody responds to them? When does it stop? And that's why it is good now that I think we saw in Montgomery, particularly with charges being filed today, that it's like, yeah, you can be a black man living your life, doing your job and not having to worry about being in the wrong with everything you might do. Well, you are so right. I think the black community is, is, you know, has taken a sigh of relief today when we saw that black police chief come out with Mayor Reed, African-American mm-hmm. uh, Morehouse graduate, and, you know, say that charges have been filed and that there had been a concerted effort to even uh, investigate whether additional charges and, and more serious charges could be filed against these men. Because all too often, I think in our community, we feel like nothing is going to be done when we are the victims of crime, particularly if the perpetrators are white. Uh, I want to thank you right. for the work that you're doing in Kansas City. And I'm sure that it's encouraging to Mayor Reed to know that he has you in Missouri. He has Karen Bass uh, in Los Angeles. Yep. Uh, he has, you know, Mayor Jones, uh, in mm-hmm. St. Louis and Turner in Houston. So, you know, there is a cadre of black mayors who are making a difference in our country. And, and I'm grateful for all of you. Uh, and thank you for supporting Mayor Reed through what has to be a very difficult time for his administration and the city. Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Mayor Quentin Lucas from Kansas City. And my next trip to St. Louis, I got to get through Kansas City to say hello. I come love on, that city as well. Come on, stop through. <laughs> thank you for giving us a voice to talk about this too. It's important. I appreciate you. Absolutely. When we come forward, a criminal defense attorney is going to help us break down the charges that have already been filed against the white men on that private boat and what additional charges may be forthcoming. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and this is Ariva Martin in real time and I'm your host Ariva Martin. And in this hour, we have been talking about the beatdown that the uh, worker, Damian Pickett, African-American who was doing his job on that dock in Montgomery, Alabama on Sunday in broad daylight at a back to school event. Uh, The beatdown that he got from uh, white men that were on this private platoon boat. The beatdown started after Damian Pickett asked the white men to move their boat so that he could dock the Harriet boat there, a boat that 
legitimate, we should have been in that location. Uh, the three or three of the men that we have all seen on the videotape have now been charged with assault, but it's third degree. And these are misdemeanors in the state of Alabama. Criminal defense attorney Jay Person Lynn is here to help us understand these charges and what additional charges might be filed. Thank you so much, Jay, for joining us. First of all, explain to us what assault in the third degree means. Uh, certainly. And first of all, thanks for having me, Reva. My name is Jaye, though. Just want to Jaye. Oh, I'm sorry. Out. Thank you for that. Syllables, no problem. Um, assault in the third degree. Ultimately, my understanding of Alabama law is there's uh, different degrees of, of these crimes. So the third degree is like the misdemeanor level. Here in California, we'll just call it a wobbler. So it'll be the same exact charge whether it's a felony or a misdemeanor, but they break it down into degrees, uh, saying that this is a third degree. And that's typically what goes on in fights in, in public places, uh, unless there's some significant kind of injuries or some kind of significant weapons like knives, screwdrivers. The, there was a chair here, but it was a plastic folding chair. So even if that gentleman is charged, um, I would expect it to be a misdemeanor charge as well. So are we to understand that the the degree of the assault is based on the injuries that are inflicted on the victim? So Mr. Pickett probably, we know he went to the hospital but was released. So assuming he had no broken bones or no serious injuries, that is that what's driving this misdemeanor versus felony assault? Uh, typically as well as the, the degree of it, because some people just withstand um beatings differently right but uh when i say the force used shooting someone with a gun or shooting at someone is deadly force but if it's not with the intent to murder it's still assault with a deadly weapon which could still be a misdemeanor um there mm -hmm. are misdemeanor assault with the deadly weapons um and so it's not it's it's the force uh, where the force meets the, the injury is typically where the decision gets made on whether to file it as a misdemeanor or a felony. But here the force was simply hands, uh, fists and things like that. And so it's it's been my experience outside of somebody having a a violent criminal background that shows this is them furthering that violent trend. Uh, it's going to be charged as a misdemeanor. And that would be my argument if I was defending those if it hadn't been charged higher. So we saw, Jay, lots of other people jumped in. Uh, some other white folks ended up, you know, jumping on Mr. Pickett. And then, of course, you know, what has caused so much response in the black community are the black men that came. As this woman said, help the brother. And you saw groups of black men that that came forward to help Mr. Uh, Pickett, as well as we saw the 16-year-old kid that was in the, the water who swam over to the dock and jumped out. What is likely to be the charges for those individuals, if any? Um, and that's the thing. I don't think there will be uh, charges for them because defense of another is an actual defense to a crime. And so where that started and where it stopped, um, we know the necessity for defense started with the men that jumped the, the brother who just told them to move their boat. 
Um, and we also have to point out there were some women throwing hands in that as well. Uh, and I, I think it's important to shout out the young, uh, the young white male worker who tried to defend the brother uh, when they first started. But defense of another is a real is a real thing. And you can defend that person with the force that they're being um, attacked with up until the time that the threat is over with. And so the threat was not over until it all calmed down and police uh, came and, and put people in custody or detained them. So I don't think it would be appropriate for anybody, black or white, that jumped in to defend another with the force that was that was used to be charged. Only Hold, let me stop you for a second. Charged. So the videos, of course, are multiple videos, so it's kind of hard to oh, know yeah. linearly what was going on. But let's say once the first group of black folks that jumped in were able to help Mr. Pickett get off the ground and now he's back up on his feet. If someone then charges towards the white people, can they still use that defensive other? I mean, at what point is the threat really over? You said when the police arrived, but if the video shows, you know, the fight had pretty much ended, although they may have still been standing in, you know, like poised positions to strike a blow, uh, you know, is that more complicated for the prosecutor to fight to to determine when is this threat over? Yes. And I mean, my argument would be that it did not end until the last punch was thrown as uh, some of those white people were approaching. We don't know if they were coming to help, but they were approaching pretty quickly. And in that you you have to judge it based on the heat of the moment. Not now that we're calm, we're in our offices, we're watching the video over and over and over again, trying to determine what happened. But in the heat of the moment, it's these white people jumping this black guy. The black people help more white people come. It's reasonable in that moment to think that they're there to help their white people. And so the fight is on and mutual combat is also a defense. So two people agreeing to fight. That's a defense. Neither one of them have committed a crime in that scenario. And so all of these things are, are questions that the prosecutor ha has. And if they just charge all of these people, one you're not going to get anybody to testify against anybody because you are you all have that Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. So the prosecution has to find a victim. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't have anybody to testify. But everyone would be claiming defense of others. The white people would say, hey, I saw multiple black people jumping these three white guys. I came to help the black people saying I saw the multiple white guys jumping the black guy. I came to help. And I don't see how they make that argument stick on anybody outside of the first three attackers. What about the chair? So we get a lot of attention on the black guy that has the white folding chair. As you said, it's a plastic chair, uh, hits uh, a white person over the head with the chair. The press conference at the press conference today, the police chief said uh, they wanted that person to come in so that they could interview him. Didn't say there was a warrant out for their arrest. Uh, so seemingly they haven't made a decision about what to do with the chair, uh, the, the chair guy. So what do you think happens to him? And that's that's a tough call because the chair obviously was used as a weapon. It's not a traditional weapon. Um, but the question then becomes, was that force more than the force of a fist? Because if it's still in that same realm as the, the force of a fist, he's defending others with the same amount of force that they're being attacked with. 
And so I it seemed like in but the wouldn't video, automatically someone say a chair is is quote even if it's a plastic chair is is a greater weight or you know potentially more dangerous than a fist? Not necessarily because that fist is is concentrated in its power and so and connected to that arm. That chair being hit, it, it's going to make noise, but I don't think it's going to have the same effect as as when it hits you. It's the whole chair isn't hitting you. A piece of that that thin plastic bottom is hitting you. And so obviously, if if that was it, if he just came in swinging and there was nothing else, then that would be a different story. But the defense I would make would be you bring this chair. It's a flimsy chair it was more for the effect to get these people off of them than an attack using more force than a punch and i would even you know they they have those things at um uh carnivals or whatnot where you could punch the the bag and see how hard you hit i would i would have somebody punch it and show the strength of the punch versus hitting with hitting it with a chair and showing the, the strength of the chair and I believe the punch would be stronger than the chair, which would be my argument that it was not un unnecessary or excessive force. Uh, when we come forward, I want to talk about hate crime charges as well as inciting a riot. Uh, the press conference today, the police chief said they had consulted with FBI agents as well as the district attorney. And at this point, they were not bringing hate crime charges or charges related to inciting a riot against the white men seen on that videotape attacking Damian Pickett. When we come forward, more on KBLA Talk 1580. Okay. We are back with Jaye Person Lynn. He is a criminal defense attorney and he's helping us break down what we saw in those videotapes uh, as we watched white men pummel uh, African American Damien Pickett, a, a dock worker, a co captain of a boat who was dressed professionally and doing his job trying to get his boat, the Harriet, docked where it should be, uh, as these white men in a private platoon boat were refusing to move despite Mr. Pickett's uh, very calm request for them to move their boat. We learned today in the press conference that was given by the police chief and the mayor of Montgomery, Alabama, that these white people at some point, not clear when, but at some point used racial epithets, racial slurs, uh, became very hostile. So, uh, Jay, lots of folks want to know, why is it that the prosecuting attorney, the FBI, have advised the Kansas City, I'm sorry, the uh, Montgomery, Alabama Police Department that no hate crime charges are appropriate at this time for these white individuals uh, that attacked uh, Mr. Pickett? Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the the venue, the, the jurisdiction. Um, there's a, a, a significant history of racial violence there in Montgomery, uh, Alabama, and maybe it was the the initial attack was done due to race. Like, how dare you, black man, tell me what to do? Maybe that's the case. Maybe they would have punched even a white guy who tried to move their their boat. And I think that's the 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 um, reasoning why they moved away from that, because one, it's 
they have to consider what's most likely going to lead to a conviction. If everyone will be happy now, hey, they charge them with a hate crime. They lawyer up. They point out, hey, they were drunk. They hate crime is a very specific intent type of, of crime. And even voluntary intoxication can negate the intent for a specific intent crime versus assault, which is a general intent crime. As long as you meant to throw that punch, regardless of the reason, you're you're guilty of that crime. And so I think that's what it was, knowing there was alcohol involved, even with the, the racial slurs being used, I think in that jurisdiction, it's probably um, not the, the worst. And there's a difference between being in the heat of the moment and saying things that are degrading to someone that you know uh, is going to be degrading to them and doing something specifically to attack this person's race. And I think if I was making that call based on the the evidence that I've seen and, and I've heard, I don't know that it was a specific act just because of race. And if it's because if, if the defense argument is if whoever that was, black, white, indifferent, they would have got punched. And in addition, the, the white guy did get swung on. And when he tried to jump in, so that's kind of the proof there that I think would negate the the hate charge specifically. I And I don't want to, to point to totally wipe out the fact that there is an argument for it, but can you prove that beyond a reasonable doubt is the question versus like a civil standard of preponderance of the evidence then maybe if that was their standard, the hate crime charges would be there. But beyond a reasonable doubt, I think it's reasonable to believe that in their drunken state, they would have swung on anybody that tried to move their boat. Yeah, uh, hate crimes are very difficult to prove. And we know prosecutors like wins. So if they can charge something in a way that's going to get them a win, they're going to do that. Uh, hate crimes require that the actions were specifically motivated by racial animus. And as you're saying, these drunk white men, although obviously, uh, you know, hold racial animus in their hearts based on the comments that they made, not clear that you could prove that they specifically went after Mr. Pickett because he is a black man. Uh, so that's a, a little harder to prove given the facts that we have. I know a lot of black folks are, are upset about that. People were hoping uh, that this would be charged as a hate crime. And, you know, the investigation is still ongoing and the FBI uh, could get involved. We know there are federal hate crime statutes as well. They could be triggered when you have a racial incident such as this. So not to say that there will never be hate crime uh, uh, charged, but I agree with you that proving that the conduct was specifically motivated or that Mr. Pickett was targeted because he is black would be very difficult for prosecutors to do. Uh, let's talk about the inciting ri a riot. I, I, California, different states have different statues on the book. Uh, you know, I think New York and California have statues having to do with, you know, engaging in gang-like activity. I don't think that's a statute that's applicable in Alabama. Uh, if this were California, New York, can you see some additional state charges based on the mob mentality, based on the mob conduct that we saw by the white uh, boat owners? Um, only due to the media attention. Uh, but bar fights happen all the time that don't result in inciting a riot charges. 
um, just fights at, at youth sports games, the parents from both teams get to throwing blows that that does not result in inciting a riot charges. And so it would be inconsistent. Um, but, you know, California prosecutors are very much swayed and persuaded by the media attention. And so I could see it for that reason. But once again, I think that would be one of the charges if they did that, um, because I think all prosecutors likely are, are hoping these people plea out, do some kind of diversion program, take an anger management, do some community service, public apology, and going about their lives. And if that happens, I want people to know not to be upset about that, because that's fairly typical for a first-time misdemeanor of, offender. And in California, we Well, I have think we know, of, hold on a second, Jay, I think we know one of these offenders that has been charged has a criminal background. I'm not sure, I don't want to say definitively which of the three men, but the, I remember the press conference today, the police chief talking about uh, some other, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a record as it relates to one of these uh, men that has now been charged. Well, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if the first guy that ran up and threw the punch was had that didn't look like something he was afraid to do right. or something that he hadn't done before. So I wouldn't be surprised. So but mind you, his situation will be different than the other two. And his resolution may be where the prosecutors may hone in on him because this is the one that we can really get the conviction on versus the, the others. Because once again, the defense of others would likely be the other's defense who didn't throw the punch. Well, actually, no, the, the first three that punch, I don't think any of them uh, would be able to utilize a defense of others. But I I could just see this coming out and and the narrative being let's make this a teachable moment that allows Montgomery to grow closer as a, a group. And if if that happened in reality, great, right? Sometimes fights are what's necessary for people to get over things. And I think a lot of those black people, they're not going to be over it, but there is it's like that scene in the movie Higher Learning. They're going to feel a little better about it for a few days, as as I think we all are. Or most so real quickly, the uh, press conference again, the police chief said that they're still investigating. So what are they investigating? They got the three white guys that were the initial aggressors that threw the first punches. What is left to investigate? Well, you know, if they have, if they got their cell phones or anything like that or looking at their social media, if they have posts saying can't wait for the opportunity to, to beat some N words up. If, if they have things like that, that could be indicative of a hate crime or, or a plan or something like that to where maybe they stayed there knowing that this riverboat was full of black people and they just wanted to incite it. And if they do come with that kind of evidence, then I think we can expect more charges and just trying to identify more people who are there. All right. Thank you so much, Jaye Person Lynn, for your expert analysis, helping us understand what's happening criminally with the uh, viral video and the attack on Damian Pickett that has gone viral. Really appreciate uh, you helping us understand what's happening. We are That's out happening. of time. Uh, the next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers and the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580s. Don't touch your dial. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica.